contact. We seem to have something here, look. Are we in business? I think we are. Great. Well, let's, yeah. let's go with it. All right. So if I go here... Well, you're parked there. And, uh, I'll just read from your notes. So here we are, everyone. We're in the heartland of southern French winemaking now. And this is, this well, is your host, David Chandler, taking over from Jason Yap. Adventures in Wine. Great. Uh, that's a huge relief. Um, I'm David Chandler, and he is Jason Yap. In the teeth of winter, it, I mean, it is all a bit depressing, and um, I thought we needed some bottle sunshine. And so I thought I'd turn to what is arguably my favourite Appalachian, it makes one of my favourite wines, which is Chateau Neuf de Good for you. How many favourites can a man have, Jason? Yeah. You can't have too many favourites. First of all, I'll just put you in the picture, both geographically and historically. All right, before you do, I want to put this up just a little bit higher. Okay, you do that. That might ring a bit. What if we put it on here? Yeah, Jason. No, no, no. How about this? This is good. Look for a day. Nothing of the best. This is professional recording at its very best. My iPhone on a plastic stand balanced on the upturned Le Creuset. Can't get better. No, no, this is um, the height of technical sophistication. So we're in Chateau de Pac, the epicenter of southern French winemaking. Okay. And although Bordelais might not like that, we're not stuffed in. Yeah. And um, I just want to put you in the picture both geographically and historically. So geographically, we're in the southern Rhone Valley, which is where most Rhone wine is produced. 90% of Rhone wine comes from the south. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is the area really between Montelimar and um, Avignon, and um, right down to the Rhone Delta. That is, oh, it's Montelimar, is that how you pronounce it? Montelimar, Montelimar. Montelimar, I'm thinking of that George Harrison song on the White Album. Uh, Do you know it? Savoy Truffle? No? I don't. No, you have to refresh me. Because it's, um, it's, in, it's in the chocolate, good news. Good news chocolate, remember them? Before my time, though. fans of the seventies, <laughs> um, and it's a big winemaking area. There's a vast area under vine. Lots of different producers. There's over sort of three hundred people who grow grapes, but roughly a third of that actually um, bottling their own wine because a lot of the wine is sold on vrac to négociants or, or traders. But over three thousand hectares under vine, and famously. 13 different grape varieties are permitted. I won't list them all now. That gives them great potential to well, they're sort blend. Of, they get a lot of leeway with 13 and, different varieties, and, don't they? Um, it was the first Appalachian Controlli in mm-hmm. 1936 uh, that came about due to the industry and hard work of Baron Lois Boiseau-Marier of mm. Chateau Fourchet. Wow. And, um, so it's the template worldwide of the, the concept of Appalachian Controlli, of, of an area being controlled 
the production of one product. And I had no idea it was actually a 20th century thing. I thought it was earlier than that. And, and the name, well, there were various sort of controls prior to that. And the, the name, it's got nothing to do with the number nine. It's because the Pope in exile, and in this instance, Pope John XXII, had his chateau built there between 1318, it was finished in 1333. He only lived in it for a year before he carved it. Mm-hmm. But he was uh, the second of the Avignon Popes, the Popes in exile, right. and um, of which there were seven altogether. Why were they exiled, do we know? Uh, difficult relations with, with the Vatican. Uh, I can't, you'd need to ask a theologian, which I'm certainly not. And so Chateauneuf-du-Pape literally, first of all, the wine was known as Van du Pape, and then it uh, morphed into Chateauneuf-du-Pape, so the Pope's new castle. And oh, you, yes, Neuf as in new. If you look right. at the label there on the yeah. Vieux Donjon, you can okay. see the remnants. There's still one tower standing. The rest was blown up by Nazis in the, right. the end of the Second World War. Oh, okay. All um, right. So, yeah, fairly recent history. So, a recent, a recent ruin. And then if you look on a bottle of Chateauneuf's Pap, yeah. most of them bear that the papal keys there crossed. Yeah, um, yeah. And that denotes that that wine is chateau bottled. Okay. So it's, it's quite an important thing, really. Mm. But there is a rival faction that has uh, the Pope's mitre, and um, that's a different thing. And, and you, can, you can divide families by talking about that. Uh, so let's not I go love ahead. all that stuff. I, yeah. think, I think that's great. That's all part and parcel of it, isn't it? What, so it's a famous enclave of red wine production. Mm-hmm. So very sunny, uh, arid climate. And a very particular terroir, largely formed up, I should have brought one along, of these galette roulets or pudding stones. So about the size of a, a small loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. And they're alluvial. They were deposited there by the Rome River eons ago. Right. It was much larger. Uh, they absorb heat during the day and they radiate it out at night. And so that has a very beneficial effect on the ripening of the grape. And it's very particular to this neck of the woods. I mean, 93% of Chateauneuf is red. There is no rosé allowed in the Appalachian, but 7% is white. So I thought we'd crack off with a lovely white Chateauneuf de Pat from the Domaine Père Caboche. It's a big estate. They've got 30 hectares of vines, mm-hmm. um, including an enviable plot on La Croix Plateau, which is the real sweet spot of the Appalachian. And this is made from a blend of 40% claret, 30% Bourbonnonc, 15% each of Grenache, Blanc and Roussin. And down in the Southern Rhone, it's all about blending. Um, it's a real skill, the assemblage. So they vinify lots of different grapes. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's a really, it's a consummate skill. That the, well, they're mixing a lot of the grapes together, aren't they? Yeah, well, the regisseur who do it, yeah. It's, it, funny enough, it's not the most permitted grapes of any Appalachian. Mm-hmm. That honour goes to Palette. In Provence, right, where you find the famous Chateau Simone, but Chateauneuf does have an awful lot, and it's unsurprisingly they made the rules. Hey, so, um, mm. so lovely limpid robe, as we say. That's you know the great clear colour, sort mm-hmm. of pale straw colour. Yeah, and as soon as what I love about Chateauneuf, it's just so hedonistic. You smell this, and immediately you get lovely ripe. Yellow stone fruit scents. There's a lot of white peach, apricot. It's lighter than I thought um, it would be. Well, the, on the it's, nose. it's amazing. Yeah, they're, they're fresher, and you mm. get a good a good amount of citrus fruit, a bit of grapefruit, a bit of lemon, 
almost like preserved lemon, slightly waxy quality as well. That's very classy, that. Mm. Which is unsurprising, I suppose. And then on the palate, again, there's these lemony notes over a kind of background of orchard fruit. Lovely fresh acidity and, mm. and great length. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And inevitably, all these southern French wines, especially with, with climate change, are, are quite high in degrees. When they made the original rules of the Air one of them was to have a minimum alcohol level. All right. That's completely redundant nowadays. What we're all worried about today is... It's too much. Ma- yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Well, that's 13.5. 13.5 degrees, which is bang average at the moment. Yeah. Um, it doesn't... But it wears it very lightly, doesn't it? I didn't sip it thinking, oh, wow, well, I better be careful with that. So this is the 2017 vintage, which uh, Jean-Pierre Boisson, who makes this wine with his daughter Emily, told me this was the smallest harvest of his 50-year career. Right. And um, He was the mayor of Chateau. He Neuf, was for he? many years. You're, you're very well informed. And mm. the reason of that, really, uh, partly that was a, a cold patch in spring, right. causing couleur or poor bud break. But the main reason was a really dry summer, so lack of rainfall, drought. Right. Conversely, 2018 was much more prolific. Mm-hmm. But this is the, the fairly recently bottled 2017, and it's absolutely delicious. And what I like about this is you can drink a glass of it on its own, mm-hmm. even on your own, um, mm-hmm. but it stands up very well to food. So any kind mm-hmm. of fish and sauce, yeah. or I think it's very good with poultry, chicken, a nice roast chicken. What's the price tag? Is that um, fairly steep? Are we... Are we aspirational well, this morning, Jason? You won't find much white shirt and earth in in the supermarkets, mm. but um, entry level is kind of under twenty quid. But you'd spend twice that on a good one. Yeah. So anyway, white shirt and earth, relative rarity, but I thought it'd be a shame to overlook one. And it tastes just great. I really like that. And then the reds. I mean, it really is all about the reds. So same estate from the Boisson Boisson family. And 2016 Vintage. Twenty fifteen, as I've said to you before, was an anywhere on the dartboard vintage. I mean it, it was good throughout France. It was good in Burgundy, it was good in the Loire Valley, the Rhone Valley, Provence, Bordeaux, you know, you, you can't really put a foot wrong. Twenty sixteen, some pundits some American pundits mm. saying they think this surpasses it. So I thought, without further ado, we ought to try one. So we're trying a 2016 Chateauneuf pack from the same estate as the white Domaine du Père Caboche, and it's made from a blend: 80% Grenache Noir, 15% Syrah, and 5% Mourvèdre. Mourvèdre is a tricky grape because it's it's got small berries and can be very very tannic if it isn't over. Wow. Fully ripe. Boy, oh boy. But this, to me, in many ways, is an archetypal Chateauneuf. And it's always forward drinking. It's always really good from the off. 15 degree ABV. Great colour. Good garnet. Deep. Yeah, yeah. Opaque colour. Briery. Is that right? Would that be fair to say? Yeah. And you you get a lot of Mm. what the French call Garrigue herb and berry. Those those Mm. wild Provencal herbs and berries. Really sort of warming chest thumping red it's kind of life affirming mm. I love it mm. but it's not all about red and black fruit there is some of that more advanced tertiary forest floor I know you like that <laughs> um, <laughs> and those tannins aren't too tight are no, they no, no. You know, it's got quite silky 
I would say almost fondant in it. And it's very versatile. It's a chewing for food. Mm-hmm. Any of that great southern French cuisine, a, a daube with orange peel and black olives. There you go. I mean, you can't beat a daube. I had one of the best meals I ever, ever ate was an aubergine daube. And I, I remember had, it to this day. I had an absolutely cracking one in Chateauneuf de Pape itself. Mm-hmm. And um, at the famous restaurant that Elizabeth. David used to love called La Mer Germaine. Okay. They did a very good dome and it went down very well with a bottle of Chateauneuf de Pâques. If you're vegetarian, that stuff goes really well, doesn't it? With veggie food, I imagine. You don't need meat, do you? To no, but if I, if I was that. going down the vegetarian cuisine route, which I'm doing increasingly, we should all be eating less meat, um, but I'd be drawn first and foremost to mushrooms. Okay. Freshly foraged wild mushrooms. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, great local delicacy, and uh, you can't go far wrong, truffles. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. And they're black truffles in this neck of the woods. Very, very good. You mm-hmm. grate it over pasta. You're gonna, everyone's going to be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Then I thought we'd taste a more evolved Chateauneuf pack to see the effects of age. So okay. we're going to the main Sangayan. And the Meth family who make this are much more famous for making gigondas, which I know you like. Oh, yeah. Um, uh-huh. But they've got a half a hectare of vines in chateauneuf de pape at Corthazon, and it's right next to the famous Chateau Beaucastel. So this is a bit of a trade secret, and it's 2011. Bit of an overlooked vintage, relatively small production from fully mature vines. It's a blend of Grenache Noir, which is always the base grape, Syrah and Morved. Mm-hmm. And I just thought we'd have a look at what a Chateauneuf tasted like after it had been kept in a bottle. Because there's a bit of a myth that Grenache doesn't age well. And in a, in a good year, you can happily lay down a Chateauneuf. You happily lay down a Chateauneuf for five years. But you can lay them down for 10 or 20. And um, both of my sons had the good sense to be born in really good Southern Rhone vintages. 1998 and 2001 and this Christmas we were drinking some of both first immediate difference you see there when pouring is this the colors the very color. different mm-hmm. yeah it's translucent rather mm-hmm. than opaque yeah and and it's the it's, nose is already much more evolved so that's yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. quite mushroomy mm-hmm. isn't it to the, the We're even close to the forest floor. You get more of that kind of leaf face down in the leaf mold. Yeah, yeah. Mm. If you've you've tripped over on a truffle, (laughs) but you could just sit there and sniff that, couldn't you? Absolutely. Uh, Well, I am, Jason. I'm just going to take this off to a room on my own. Mm. So these southern run wines are vintage sensitive, but the vintage run has been really, really good. The last crap vintage, and it was unbelievably bad. Mm was 2002 and the thing as a winemaker that you really don't want to happen is torrential rain at harvest time and in 2002 that's exactly what they got and it just wanged it down day in day out 24 7 and that dilutes the grapes and a lot of the grapes burst their skins and a lot of the winemakers in Chateauneuf-de-Pape didn't bottle any wine really well you can downgrade it to Cote de Rhone you can flog it all to a supermarket 
um, on the cheap, or you can just put it down to experience and right. take one for the team. So that was the last terrible vintage. Since then, they've all been good. But mm. 15 and 16 are the real standouts. But this, the 2011, really underrated. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a gem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. tannins, what happens with just that, what are we now, seven years bottle age? They break down and they sweeten and soften and you just yeah. get a much more Burgundian, it's more open, relaxed, uh, contemplative drink rather than with the sort of tight tannins and fresh acidity of a young wine. Mm-hmm. But I think you're into a nice stew or bit of grilled red meat if you don't go down the mushroom route with this one. I think this requires something a bit more substantial. And mm. worth pointing out, this has by no means gone past its peak. So I think you can happily enjoy this for another three to five years, and I, for one, fully intend to do so. Mm. Cheers. Cheers. More adventures in wine at www.yap.co.uk.